the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in the verse in the song, it said, it's better to do that here uh, and now, and the rewards are great. Uh, but you're going to do it at some time. Every, every tongue will confess, my tongue, your tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, uh, whether you want to or not. Uh, it's going to happen. Uh, and and these, this verse says he's the Lord of heaven, earth, uh, the creation of where we are, uh, under the earth. Nothing is not under his dominion. Uh, you can't hide from God. Everything is under his authority. And every knee will bow. Uh, and that's good news. If we serve God, that's good news. That means there's nothing, nothing above God that's going to harm us, because he's above all, and he is Lord of all. Uh, there are heavenly kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, and there's a personal kingdom. I have a personal kingdom. Uh, I'm king of my kingdom. Uh, I let in who I want, and I keep out who I don't want. I have a kingdom in me. Uh, if I feel there's a situation that I'm going to be a dork, I don't have to go there, mentally or physically. I can, I can stop. I have a kingdom, and I rule. I am the king in my kingdom. Every tongue will confess. At some point in my life, and I confess Jesus is Lord, but if, I, if Jesus is Lord, and every tongue will confess, in my kingdom, not every area, Jesus is Lord. As I, as I prepared this and, and just living life, you realize that Jesus is not Lord of every part of your kingdom. But it's our place to give him that, that, that reign and let him be a, a, a king in our lives. I, and just I wrote down, I was thinking uh, about people talking into your, your life or your kingdom. And my mom uh, uh, would talk into my life, and she knew me quite well. And, and sometimes I would take her advice, and sometimes I wouldn't. Uh, I was going to Toronto once, and, and she always packed for me. So I, I was, uh, but I draw the line. I, was gonna, I wasn't going to take a sweater because I was you know, a man now. I could decide... <laughs> what was going in my luggage or what wasn't going in my luggage. And I drew the line. The sweater wasn't going in. My mom said, well, you probably, no, um, I don't need it. So when I got to Toronto, the first thing I had to borrow was the sweater. People want to talk into your life. Jesus wants to talk into your life. It's up to you whether you let them in or not. You, you are king of your kingdom. But, I mean, the people come and go, and you're, you're, uh, uh, um, you should ultimately let Jesus uh, talk into your life. He knows all about you. You're not going to surprise him in your kingdom with stuff that you have. It's like, look at this. He already knows it's there. He wants to come in and in some cases clean up your kingdom, uh, help you with your kingdom, guide you in your kingdom. Uh, yeah, and back to my, to my mom again. Uh, she, there was a certain time in my life I was going through some stuff and I, you know, you, you you think nobody knows what I'm going through. You know, it is, I got this, these, the, I'm facing stuff that nobody would under, you know, nobody else would understand or nobody knows about. And my mom sat me down and she started talking about what was, she was noticing in my life and, and some of the stuff that I could be going through or how I'd be feeling. And I, on the outside, I'm going, no, no, that's not, not it. But it, it gave me pause. Someone was just observing my life, my mother, and she knew what I was going through. And she, she, was, she was saying, you know, this could be trouble. And she was bringing up things in my life. Did she noticed that? And it was, it was giving me pause in my heart. Like, I, I never let her know that. Uh, but but it, it was. It gave me pause. So people know. People, 
you think that uh, people don't know or observe things in your life or that you're, you're doing stuff that people don't notice? Yeah, uh, just be careful about that. And God, God knows. If, if nobody else knows, God knows. And he's not surprised. So what are we to do with our kingdom? He wants us to submit it to him. Uh, let him be the Lord of your life, your kingdom. And Jesus, in the Bible, Jesus never asks us to do something that he doesn't do himself. You look at his life. He died on a cross. Uh, it says somewhere in the scripture that he, he only spoke what the Father told him to speak. He, he led a scripted life. If anyone was an example of submission, it was Jesus Christ when he lived here on earth. He was in total submission to God. He set his face towards Jerusalem and, and wouldn't look anywhere else. He wanted to go towards Jerusalem. Uh, it wasn't easy. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he, was going, he knew what he was facing, but he still, he submitted to God. This verse, keep in mind, this verse is uh, the resurrected, this is a description of the resurrected Lord. This is after he's died on the cross and resurrected. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he's put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Even the resurrected Christ is going to submit to God the Father. It, it doesn't, submission is not something that's a one-time thing. It's a, it's a commitment. Jesus is submitted to God the Father. And Jesus is the way. It's a good description. It's, it's a, he's our example. Uh, he, and it, it's not like, uh, okay, I can do it. Now what are you guys going to do? He wants to get right in there with us. Uh, he wants us to help us do it. He's not a God that, that's scared to get uh, dirty. He gets right down in there in the, in the uh, uh, situation that you're in. Uh, he, his, his desire is for us to succeed. You have to keep that in mind. Sometimes like, uh, I, I sort of forget that in my life. Like, uh, but God wants me to succeed. I want to hide this from him because it's, it's, you know, it's going to show God that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. He already knows about it. He wants to get in there and help us, I don't know, whatever you want to do, cut it off or, or get rid of it or put something in your heart that gives you a desire to serve God. So just to, I want to take a, a while and just focus on our own hearts and how Jesus wants to become part of, uh, us to become part of his kingdom. So I want to use a parable that Jesus told and gave to bring uh, some points about the, uh, this kingdom of our own hearts. It's Matthew 13, 1 to 13. Uh, and it's, it's, it has to do with uh, our hearts being like different types of soil or a garden. Uh, Betty and I put in a garden, and uh, uh, Jesus used parables with just everyday things. And a, a garden is a good example because I, I know it's taught Betty and I a number of things. Uh, if you don't pay attention to it, the weeds will, and they'll just cover it in a nice green uh, uh, carpet. Uh, our, our garden didn't have enough soil. It was sort of clay-like and lots of rocks. We had to dig it out and put in new soil. Uh, if there's rocks in your garden, you've got to throw them out. We had a, a, a horse manure at one time. Don't use that. brings a lot of weeds. Uh, use something else for fertilizer. We were like three years figuring that one out. Yeah. And things, but the, you know, the, the benefit of a garden, things taste better uh, when they're fresh and when you grow it yourself. Uh, it's just something, it, just, it, it feels and tastes a lot better when you can just walk out and uh, uh, pick something and eat it. 
So this, uh, this verse, Matthew 13, 1, 1 to 13, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, that they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. I like this particular parable because then Jesus goes on to explain it. So it, uh, it, it doesn't, it, it leads, there shouldn't be any confusion. If the guy who Jesus is telling the parable, he also explains it. So Matthew 13, uh, 18 to 23, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they, that's better. they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. Again, so Jesus used parables, everyday things to illustrate things about how things work. So the Bible, Bible is a great way to re reveal what your situation is. Uh, it, it, but it, it, there's a lot of self-help books out there that reveal what your situation is and make you understand it. The Bible goes beyond that and, and speaks on how to uh, allow God in to help you in your situation. He can describe the situation and you can resonate with that, but Jesus wants to go beyond that and come alongside and help you in whatever situation you're in. And the, and the verse that really is apt in this is 1 Corinthians 4.20. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So Jesus, Jesus can tell you what the problem is and the issue is, and the Bible can reveal that to us. But he has the power, he's sovereign, and he's able to, to change situations. Uh, uh, it, first, you have to recognize that you're in a situation. But Jesus, and if you take it to Jesus, he has the power to change that situation. So there's different stories in the Bible that uh, show the condition of people's heart. And it, and it relates back to these uh, uh, three conditions of soil. And then the, the last one, where it's the good soil and it gives 30, 60, or 100 times what it's sown, that's the good news. That's the gospel. These first, first three soils are the situation that we may find ourselves in. Parts of it may attribute to you or, or you may see you know, uh, yourself in some of these situations. But the last one is the good news for anyone. That's, that's Jesus wanting to become part of that situation to change it. So the first one is the seed along the path. Satan comes and snatches it from the heart. You're oblivious to what's going on. So the uh, uh, example of this in the, in the Bible uh, is uh, Nabal. He, uh, uh, he's, 
he's like the uh, uh, sort of a standout example of this. Uh, the guy, the guy is uh, um, definitely has a, a hard heart. So we'll just go through this uh, 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 story, but pay attention while I read it to, to uh, Nabal. He thinks he's king of his heart, and he doesn't listen to anyone. And there's, and keep in mind too, there's some of Nabal in all of us. Uh, there, if you don't think there is, well, you get into a certain situation. There's a bit of Nabal in all of us, I think. So a certain man. It's a First uh, uh, Samuel 25. And 2 to 39. A certain man in Moen who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and a three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. So this this is his his, his big time uh, um, property he has. He doesn't really have to rely on anyone. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep-shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. So David had helped him out. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I've slaughtered for my shares and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you strap on your sword. So they did. David strapped on his as well. 400 men with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. So people are seeing the bigger picture. Everyone but Nabal seeing this bigger picture. Night and day they were a wall around us as the whole time we were herding the sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seeks of roasted grain, and 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there was... There were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, It's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing. He paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. I just want to pause there. You know who's speaking there? Nabal's wife. This, <laughs> this guy is married, and this is the wife's testimony about her husband. The guy, is, the guy has blinders on. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what type of person he is. His wife. This is his wife's description. I don't want to be a, a, 
what a, what a, you know, you, you got a roast in your honor and your wife gets up and says, you know, this is my Lord, the wicked man, Nabal. You know, his name means fool and folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I did not see my, the man my Lord sent. And now my Lord, is, as surely as the Lord your God lives, that is you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming you, my Lord, be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment in keeping me from bloodshed this day and avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, he who kept me from harming you, if you had, who had kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, Go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. Nabal didn't know it, but his kingdom was getting smaller and smaller. Uh, if you live a life for yourself, in this world, your world will get smaller and smaller. You'll tick people off, and they will go out of your kingdom, out of your world. Your world will get smaller. Uh, and eternally, there'll be consequences that are similar. Nabal, Nabal didn't, didn't have a sweet clue what was going on. She told him nothing at all till daybreak. Then in morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. And his heart failed him and became like stone. Nabal was busy creating uh, a heart that was protected from anything. And, and God gave him what he was trying to protect, a heart of stone. Because uh, everybody else saw what Nabal was really like. And God gave him that, a heart of stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal uh, for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal wrongdoing on his, on his own head. So Nabal's example of a path, uh, the, the, the seed on the path, the hard one, that doesn't let anybody enter into his heart. Uh, his only rule was, I do what I want when I want. He didn't listen to anyone's advice. And someday, again, as that verse said, someday we'll all acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. The kingdom Nabal was building fell apart. Uh, he could not see it coming. So stories like this, it, it, it describes your situation, but the good news is coming. That 30, 60, and 100 times uh, that God wants to give you, that, that's, that's the good news. These three types of soil are, are a description. I mean, they, they, I could fit my heart into Nabal. So there's, you know, there's, there's, there's hardness in my heart that, uh, um, you know, I want, I want to do what I want when I want. I don't care the consequences. Somebody may see, see that in my life that I'm, I'm heading for a shipwreck, uh, and it's easy to see in someone else's life. But there's, there's parts of us that just want to do what we want when we want. But the, th the third part is God wants to change that. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to be a naval situation. 
uh, he, he's cheering for us, and he wants us to have that 30, 60, and 100, 100-fold. Uh, so the next type of soil is it's rocky, not much soil. Uh, he hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but it has no root. It only lasts a short time. Uh, it, the uh, uh, Bible mentions that these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I, I, I could see an analogy between having no root, like a shallow soil, and having being lukewarm. Uh, you're, you're kind of, you're in between it. You don't know, uh, do I want to stay here? Do I want to put, you know, do I want this relationship? Uh, you can't be half-hearted commitment. Uh, Jesus himself said, you know, I don't want, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You're either one or the other. You can't depend on someone who's lukewarm. Okay, they're there one day, but then the next day you figured they were going to be there again, but they're not. Uh, so they, Jesus doesn't want a part of that. Uh, and, and in Revelation, we're described as the bride of Christ. Uh, Jesus uses marriage as an, as an illustration. And marriage requires commitment. It requires a root uh, uh, to last. And, and we are the church. We're the bride of Christ. So Jesus is looking for a commitment from us. He wants something that will last. Uh, we have to stick with it, even if persecution or trials arise. Just like a, a marriage, it has to, through, uh, has to last through the trials or hard times. Uh, the, sometimes it, you, you, try, you try to run a marriage on one day a week. Okay, I'll be married one day a week. See how that works for you. That, it just doesn't. Marriage is, is more of a commitment. It's, it's a commitment of, of, uh, of, of long term. Uh, you're, the, you're there for your spouse, uh, good and bad. And, that's, and, and if Jesus describes us as the bride of Christ, he wants to marry us. Uh, he wants to marry us, good or bad, on our part. It's all good on Jesus' part. He's the groom. But it's good and bad on our part. But he loves us, and he took us as his bride. Uh, but, but he wants us to love him as a bride. So the third, third type of soil, uh, our garden soil, our heart, is, is someone that... Uh, hears about God's love and wants to serve God, and then things, things uh, uh, butt in line, the weeds. Uh, Jesus explains in the parable, the weeds are, are worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, and they choke out your faith. One of my favorite proverbs is, uh, a man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. So if we desire riches, if you get riches, in life you're always going to have problems. If you're rich, you're going to have a different set of problems. If you're poor, you're going to have problems. But if you're rich, you'll still have problems. It'll just be a different set. Uh, and, and, and I think uh, uh, eternally, if we look and we look at riches, they're going to be more of a, uh, of a detriment to us. Uh, people, people that have, uh, have everything that they could possibly want uh, feel that they don't need God. So I think it's, it's harder for someone that's, that's very rich to turn, turn towards God. Uh, so, praise God if you're poor. <laughs> so, the parable describes riches as deceitful. you got to watch them. They're tricky. They can sneak up on you. And they can lead you away uh, without you even knowing it. Uh, example is, is Jesus talking to a, a young ruler. 
and and he's asking how he can be a, a you know what what can I do to get eternal life? And Jesus answers, "If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me." When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, "Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle." and for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. With God all things are possible. Riches turn that young ruler away, but Jesus states that, that God can save you, rich or poor. The final say is with God. He's the ultimate gardener. That's, that's the message. When I, when I was looking at this and I, I was thinking, Wow, yeah, that is really a situation in life and stuff. But... But uh, uh, the gospel is about good news. You can describe your situation, but the good news is that God wants to change that. He's, he's, the, he's the master gardener. He can come in and dig out whatever rock you got in your, your garden. He can pull out whatever weed you got. Uh, whoever heard of stinging nettles? I think they were created in, in uh, some evil mind. They, they, they're, they're a weed in your garden. And, and you pull them out, and then your hands itch for, like, oh, days afterwards. It feels like there's little thorns in it and stuff. But I don't know where that came from. <laughs> well, yeah, I, you, let's get rid. That's a good analogy. Get rid of stinging nettles. You don't need them. Stinging nettles are, are you know, any type of weed in your life. Just get rid of them. And that's, that's the good news. Jesus wants to come in and teach us. You know, that's, that's, that's good, that's bad, you should get rid of that. And he's not telling us just because he's, you know, rule-oriented. He has your best interest in mind. He wants you to succeed. You know, get rid of that in your life because, you know, down the road, if you're still doing that, you know, this is going to fail on you, this is going to fail on you, this is going to fail on you. If you build a foundation on Jesus Christ, and that's what he, he wants. He wants a foundation so you're not stumbling around. He wants to give you that. And, and he's the master gardener. He wants to put that good soil in you. Yeah, so he can weed and remove things that are hindering us from uh, 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 serving him, the deceitfulness of wealth. And the, and the last type of soil, it represents the good news, or when Jesus is able to plant his kingdom in us, 30, 60, or 100 times what is sown. So if you put whatever you put into God, he's able to give you back 30, 60, and 100 times. He multiplies it. Uh, it's, it's good soil. Someone who hears the word and understands it, produces a crop, holds on to it, uh, I'm going to read a, a section of scripture of Jesus' ministry, how he sowed seed. So Jesus is the sower. He's the one that puts the seed in. He's the ultimate uh, uh, sower that puts that in. So it, it's Luke 8, uh, 22 to 9, 6. So Jesus had been preaching in Capernaum, sowing lots of seeds. Then he and the disciples leave Capernaum uh, by boat to the other side of the lake. So Jesus is on a mission here. He's going out to plant, uh, uh, plant some seeds. He's going to create a garden. And so he picks, he picks the ultimate not good place to grow a garden. Uh, he's going over to the region of, Ge I was trying to pronounce this word, Gez Gezerines, G-E-R-A-S-E-N-E-S, G Gerasenes, Gerasenes is what I'm going to call it. So he's, he's going to the region of uh, Gerasenes. Uh, the kingdom of God uh, uh, again, that verse comes up. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Jesus was going to go over and plant a garden, and it didn't matter what stood in his way. 
because he wanted these people in this region to know about him. It was a non-Jewish region, and he wanted to plant some seeds. And it says later in the Bible that he went back to the same area and people uh, took uh, people out to him to be uh, healed and saved. So this this is Jesus sowing some seed, uh, and he and he uh, he does it to the most helpless case uh, uh, that he could find. He picked a demon-possessed man that had superhuman power. Uh, he broke any chains that anybody put on it. He lived in a graveyard, and he was always naked. And everybody probably heard of this guy. Like if you lived in this area, the uh, Jezreens, because he was always out there, and, and it says he was always cutting himself. This is who Jesus picked to plant his garden. Because the kingdom of God did not consist in talk, but in power. So they sailed to the region of the Gezerines, which is across from the Lake of Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had worn, not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice. If you get a picture of that, this, it's a real, a real event. This guy is yelling as loud as he can. He has no clothes on. He's cut himself, so he's probably got all scars. And he's coming from the graveyard. It doesn't look like a garden to me. It doesn't look like a very fertile soil. It wouldn't be the first guy I'd pick to preach to. If, if he's naked and running up and he's screaming at the top of his voice, I, yeah, okay, I'd move on to the next guy. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of him. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he broke his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth and below the earth. The demons know that. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gennesarenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demon had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. There's the garden. There's the seed Jesus planted. The demon-possessed man himself was the seed that Jesus was sending back to this whole region. He wouldn't let him come with him. He said, Go back. Go back to that area and tell, you know, tell people your deliverance, that God, God loves you, that God can heal you, that he can take you from, from you know, what a state this guy was in. Took him from that and restored him. I'd want to go with Jesus too, but Jesus had, Jesus had planted something there. And he wanted that to, to come to fruition. And later, later in the Bible, as I said, it, it tells us that Jesus went back to that area and people welcomed him then. But I'd be scared too. If you came out, 2,000 pigs are drowned in the lake. The guy that you always knew was in the, in the graveyard, screaming and yelling and cutting himself, he's in his right mind. 
It's like, what's going on here? This isn't what I'm used to. They, and they were overcome with fear. But Jesus is a patient gardener. He'll wait through your fear. He'll wait through whatever you're going through. And he wants that growth. He wants that 30, 60, 100 times. Jesus wants that. He wants you to accept that word and let it grow deep uh, uh, into you. So Jesus and his disciples then returned back to Copernicum because the seeds he had planted earlier were getting ready to harvest. So he left one side of the lake, goes to the other side to plant that garden. Now he's going back to harvest what he had planted already in, around Copernicum. That was a place that he did a lot of his ministry. And he's, he's talked to people and he's healed people and people have, have uh, heard his parables that he talked to. Uh, so th- he let his teaching uh, grow roots into their heart and they desired to reach out to Jesus. And they weren't going to let any weeds choke out what they had learned, uh, learned about him. So now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So Jesus is a gardener that does it even in a crowd. The crowds almost crushed, crushed the guy. I, I wouldn't be able to think about uh, anything else. If, if people were in my face, in my personal space, it's like I wouldn't be thinking about ministering to anybody. I'd just be thinking about how am I going to get air and how am I going to get out of here. But Jesus, this is the physical environment that Jesus uh, ministered in. People, people were almost crushed him. Now, they, they put that, that's just a sentence, but I, I can picture that. Like, I mean, a whole crowd of people that all they want to do is, is get to this guy. I uh, want a piece of him. And they're almost crushing him. And the woman who has been there subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? So it, there was no weeds that got in the way of this, this woman. She wasn't going to, she knew that if she touched the hem of his garden, gar, garment, that she would be uh, cured. That was a seed that was planted in her heart, and she wasn't letting it go. She got rid of every weed, anything else, and she grabbed a hold of the hem of his garment. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know the power came, has gone out of me. Then the woman, seeing that she could go, not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. She, she had that seed, that seed. She knew Jesus could heal. That was the seed that was planted in her heart. And she reached out to the hem of his garment and, and, and harvested that 30 times. But Jairus is still standing there. Uh, I mean, here, here's a man that probably left his daughter's bedside, had seen that Jesus had healed, knew, knew it was, wasn't good odds, his daughter, that was near the point of death, but had seen Jesus, the seeds that Jesus had done. Had, uh, he was the uh, synagogue ruler, so I'm sure he'd seen some miracles that Jesus was able to do. That seed was planted in him, and he, he was letting it grow. Because he, he went for, he, he, he would have left his daughter's bedside and knew that his only hope, or her only hope, was Jesus. And he went and found him. Uh, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Remember, Jesus is the gardener. Not situations, not people around you. Some people always want to tell you news. This, this person was probably just itching. Must have had to, just think of it. This person had to come through the crowd to get up there to tell Jairus that his daughter was dead. 
Uh, some people get a thrill about telling news to people. Don't do that. It's a pet peeve on my part. The, uh, 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 your daughter's dead, but Jesus is the gardener. He, he said, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. She will be healed. He's in charge. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, the child's father. So the, this seed that Jairus had seen, with all the miracles that Jesus had done, it was like that uh, mustard seed. Uh, it, it, it was sown uh, that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air can come and make a nest in its branches. Jairus had took that seed, that Jesus was in control, and he, had, he was a miracle-working God, and he planted it in his heart, and it grew. If you, put your, if you put your faith in the right spot, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he can give the growth. And, and just like a mustard seed can grow up into this plant that's, that's big that a bird can uh, 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 have a nest in, Jairus put his, his faith in the right spot. He put it in Jesus Christ. And then he, he, he got this uh, 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 encouragement from the Lord. Don't be afraid, just believe. She will be healed. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to get her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what would happen. This is a... a I mean, Jairus probably didn't know how this... Obviously, didn't know how this was going to turn out. But that... I. I you know, is that is that a sixty times he sowed that seed? I think it's, in, in, I mean, if your child is sick and about to die, I think that's the he reaped a crop greater than sixty. It'd be it'd be uh, 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 unlimited. Like I mean, you you do do anything for your family, and he put that faith in Jesus, and his and it came to fruition. He got his daughter back alive and well, and then. That, that's, I thought, 30 and 60. And then the, the verses go on after that, and they read, uh, read this. They say, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there till you leave the town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. I think that's the, more the hundred times what was sown. These are the disciples that, that hung around with Jesus and were learning from him and taking all the seeds that he was sowing into their life, and he sent them out to create their own gardens. He went to, went to proclaim to the, the good news to the villages around, and, and, uh, and, and it, it, it just says in the, in the last uh, sentence there, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. God, God gave them that uh, 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 crop in their, in their life uh, that, that he was able to uh, uh, sow into their life. I, I was, uh, when I was preparing this, I was checked in my spirit because I thought it was really neat. Hey, this is, this is I, can, I can resonate with this. This is how people, people operate or, or the situation that I, I'm in or I find myself sometimes. But it's not about that. God knows what situation you're in. 
He's interested in that 30, 60, 100 times. He, he wants to be a part of what you're in and, and to change that and to make you, uh, 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 I don't know what you want to, like you can plant different types of gardens. He has a different type of garden for you. Not everyone's going to plant a turnip garden. That would be gross. People, people are going to plant different types of garden. He has a garden for you. Maybe you have a, a 30 type garden. Maybe you have a 60 type garden. Maybe you have a 100 type garden. But God has a garden for you, and he's the master gardener. He can get rid of any rock, any weed, uh, or tell you what weeds to pick. I don't know how he's going to get rid of them, but you know, he, he can use you to pick the weeds out that you have to pick out. I don't know all the plants, and you're, you're there looking, and uh, carrots are one of the worst. If they're, if they're coming up, they sort of look like a weed, and they, they can come out. But Jesus can tell you what you should take out and what you should leave. He's the master gardener. And he, and he wants us to succeed. He wants us to have a good garden. And uh, maybe I'll ask Joanna at this uh, uh, time. We're going to have a... And uh, I never know how to end uh, 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 like a speaking. I, I never do well with that. It, it just kind of... Uh, uh, and that's the end. <laughs> uh, we're going to have a time of communion. And uh, maybe... Uh, I'll let Joanna quarterback that. <laughs> I'll just let her do the hard part. Uh, why don't we invite the band to come back up? And um, I do have some concluding thoughts. <laughs> um, we're going to invite also the ushers to, uh, why don't you guys come up now as well? I think Mike and Arlene and a few others. We read a lot of different examples there of people who had good ground, you could say, good soil in their lives, and many others who had not-so-good soil, who had thorns in their lives, like Nabal. I don't know if we read the very end, but he actually died. He passed away. And the stories that we read where people had good ground, good soil, those were the people who saw the miracles. Those were the people who got the healing that they were looking for. You know, the woman with the issue of blood, she had good soil. She had good ground in her life. And um, Jairus and his daughter and the demon-possessed man. I actually read that story this morning. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing story. And um, so I guess my prayer, and I think our prayer for all of us this morning, is that we just take this time while um, the ushers are handing around the emblems to just kind of reflect on the state of our hearts, you know, are, are our hearts soft or have they become bitter, you know, when things have happened to us, situations that we don't understand. Um, been praying for uh, Melissa and your family. They're related to the people who passed away in the fire in Westville. And situations and things like that can happen that there's no explanation for why do bad things happen and it's always an opportunity to either become bitter and frustrated and upset and angry with god when things like that happen and for our hearts to become hard or for us to surrender those situations and those things to god and say god i don't understand but somehow i believe and i trust that you're still god in the midst of this and that's what keeps our hearts soft that's what keeps the soil in, in our hearts, um, good ground. And so as we uh, pass around these emblems, um, team, why don't you just go ahead and start? Let's just reflect on the state of our own hearts today. 
and pray that we would always be able to maintain a soft heart towards God, even though we live in a world that is full of brokenness and pain and heartache and so many things and circumstances that we don't understand. So God, we just thank you, Lord, for the message that we heard this morning. God, we want to be people who have good ground in our lives. God, I pray that you, even today, in this moment, you would just till the soil of our hearts, and there might be some rocks, there might be some thorns there that are in our hearts because of things that have happened to us, things we don't understand. God, we, we just give you permission right now to remove those. God, we pray that you would help us to keep our hearts soft, release forgiveness to those who we need to forgive. God, we don't want to become bitter. God, we don't want to become frustrated with you and angry at you. We thank you that you are a good father and you really do want to give us 10, 20, 100 times fold. God, you are our biggest fan and we just thank you, Lord, for who you are in Jesus' name. Um, you, you can remain seated if you would like or if you'd like to stand. We're going to maybe sing one song until everyone gets um, their emblems and then we will participate together.